2 Corinthians 11, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 4. And while we're there, why don't we go ahead and stand? Just going to read four verses together. Um, So follow along with me as I read it. Oh, that you would bear with me in a little folly. And indeed, you do bear with me. For I am jealous for you with godly jealousy. For I have betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we have not preached, or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. This is your word for us today, Lord, and you are a jealous God, jealous for our hearts and our affections. I pray that you would make us jealous for one another as well, that the spirit of the living God would fall afresh on us today, taking us out of our mundane routine, taking us out of our road that has become a rut which has led to a rot in our life and in our spirituality. And God, that you would just hear, cause the people to hear rather, the, the passion of their God through this person today, just a, an empty vessel. Just let your spirit speak through me from these four or five verses, God, for your fame. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want to read with you the same set of verses, but in a version from the 1940s that was written for high school students. It says, I wish you could put up with a little of my foolishness. Please try. My jealousy over you is the right sort of jealousy. For in my eyes, you are like a fresh, unspoiled girl who I am presenting as a fiance to your true husband, Christ himself. I am afraid that your minds may be seduced from a single-hearted devotion to him by the same subtle means that the serpent used towards Eve. For apparently you cheerfully accept a man who comes to you preaching a different Jesus from the one we told you about, and you readily receive a spirit and a gospel quite different from the ones you originally accepted. And so... As you've probably been getting a bit of the context of 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to a beloved church uh, there in the southern part of Greece um, who he has had a deep, intimate relationship with. He he was the original missionary to this people group. He was the founding pastor of the church there in Corinth. He's had incredible, intense ministry. There's been revival that's broken out in Corinth through the ministry of Paul by the power of the Holy Spirit. And as he would travel away and continue his missionary journey, uh, you guys know that some, some mean men, some rude men, some false teachers have come in and they've spoiled the Corinthians' minds towards Paul. And so Paul has spent this second letter to the Corinthians kind of defending himself to them, defending his authority, defending his apostleship, uh, defending his uh, fatherhood towards them. 
And it's come to the point, and we're going to see it in these next couple chapters, we saw it last week, where he's got to brag just a little bit about all that God's done through him. And he hates it. He hates this boasting, as he, he calls it many times. He, he doesn't want to do it, but these false teachers and the Corinthians just following anybody that would, you know, speak to them, uh, he's like, it's driven me to this. And so he says in verse 1 of our text, bear with me in a little foolishness and in a little folly here. Because I've, I've been bragging um, and, and I'm going to, to move into some more foolishness. Now the thing is, immediately when you hear that he's been bragging and boasting, we, we think, well, that doesn't sound very right. And Paul also feels like, I know it's not what I want to be doing, but he says, but here's the deal. These other men are bragging and boasting as well. But they're doing it for their own advancement. I am bragging and boasting for your salvation and for the glory of God as chapter 10 ends by saying, let him who glories glory in the Lord. And so Paul is saying, God has used me, he's commissioned me, and he has done incredibly powerful things in bringing salvation to the Corinthians through my ministry, so that you can be saved and so that he can be exalted by the people groups there in Corinth. Do you see the difference? And so he says, I know, I know it's a foolish time for me to kind of, you know, solidify my apostleship. And he says, but I'm not done being foolish yet. He says, I'm going to move towards a different type of foolishness called jealousy. Boasting, oh bad. Jealousy, oh bad. But Paul's going to say, hey, I am jealous for you, but it is with a good kind of jealousy. It is with a God, Holy Spirit sent ardor in my heart. And so he says in verse two, I am jealous for you with godly jealousy for I betrothed you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. He is zealous as the Greek word is. He is striving for and has his heart set on with deep concern the Corinthian church. I am so passionate for you. He, he does more than say, you guys know I love you. And he says, I am on fire for you. I am ardent for you. But the type of jealousy that I have, it's not the green-eyed monster kind of jealousy. I have a godly jealousy, just as I have a godly boasting. My jealousy for you isn't for selfish means or that I would become rich through you guys. It's so that you could be saved and that you could come to Jesus and that the groom could meet his bride. And the picture is an analogy all throughout the scripture that we who are Christians and followers of God are the wife, the bride of God. We are the bride of Christ. That's all throughout the word. In Isaiah chapter 45, he says, for your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. Guys, you got to get over it. All right. I probably love the analogy just as much as you do, but it's how God has described himself to us. It's how he has described the relationship that we can have. And he puts it in a way that we can best understand 
the intimacy and relationship between a husband and a wife. I am your husband, God says. And so all throughout scripture, the picture is that anytime God's people, his bride, would go and serve other gods or fashion for themselves other things so that they can worship, he is jealous because they have cheated on him. They have committed adultery. They've been players. And all throughout the law in the Ten Commandments, both in Exodus and Deuteronomy, Jesus, uh, God the Father, would say, like in Exodus 20, you shall have no other gods before me. You guys know that. You shall not make for yourself to carve image any likeness or anything that's in heaven above or on earth beneath or that's in the water or under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God. Don't worship anything else. And don't carve or whittle or weld anything so that you can worship it. And boy, howdy, when you go to watch Passion of the Christ or the movie Risen this week in the theaters, don't you dare take a snapshot on your phone of those actors and begin to hallow their name. Jim Caviezel, such a good-looking guy. It's kind of easy to worship that guy that has a, a form and appearance that's, that's good-looking. When Isaiah says he has no form or comeliness that when we look upon him, we would want to follow him. People weren't following Jesus because he was a stud muffin. People were following Jesus because he came with authority and power and to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And so if we would follow anybody else besides Yahweh, God who has draped himself in flesh and come as a man, Jesus, and the third person, the Holy Spirit, we are committing spiritual adultery. And in Deuteronomy, God says, take heed to yourself, lest you forget the covenant that the Lord has made with you. Don't forget and go off and make yourself to carve image in the form of anything that the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. That speaks of, he is on fire for you. He is passionate and ardent for your heart to be towards him. He is a jealous husband. And anyone that tries to come in and break that relationship, he will consume them, as Hebrews says. The book of Hosea is all about the Lord using a picture of marriage to describe his relationship with Israel, his people. You can read the whole book. It's like 14 chapters. And it says that, the prophet Hosea was supposed to go into the brothel houses and take for himself a wife of harlotry. That was a commandment from the Lord. And, and why would you want me to do that, Lord? Because I am going to show Israel a picture of what they've done to me. And so he goes in and he picks out a gal and her name is Gomer and he takes her as his wife. It's a beautiful name. Whether you're watching the Andy Griffith show or whether you're marrying your gal from a brothel, it's all good. Gomer. Gomer becomes his wife, bears him children, takes on godly names that represent what God is doing. And as time goes on, she aggressively goes out and pursues other men. And the Lord tells Hosea, 
go get her and go love her and draw her back because as painful and hurtful as that is, that's what Israel is doing for me and I am pursuing them that they would come back to me. Our God is a jealous God and he wants the hearts of his people. Now, what is he jealous for? Oh, you're just so precious. You're just so cute. You're just so good looking. You've just got so much to offer God. Why wouldn't he just want you? Now, you are great. Don't get me wrong. And he does want you. God so loved the world that he gave his son. But that is not the chief chief and paramount and foremost reason that he has pursued you. In another place, he speaks of his jealousy in Ezekiel 39, 25, whatever. This is what the Lord says. I will bring back the captives of Jacob and have mercy on the whole house of Israel. And I will be jealous for my holy name. So at the end of the day, why is Paul jealous for the Corinthians? And why is God jealous for his bride? Loves his bride. Lays his life down for his bride. But what is the chief purpose of it all? It is for his fame. That the world would know these are his people. He has pursued them even though they were sinners. He died for them. He laid down his life for them. That the world and the angels who look into the world and witness the whole drama would find him holy and perfect and just and loving. The jealousy for the church from the Lord is for his glory. Well, praise God, you guys. It's been a while since I've whittled myself a little idol. I got nothing in my house to bow down to. It's been a while since I've welded a a weird image that I could pay homage to. And boy, aren't you guys that were on the Nepal team the last two years so encouraged as we go into Shivalaya where the Hindus are worshiping and as we went to the Boda where the Buddhist holy sites are and we see them worshiping their gods and spinning their prayer bells and worshiping the idols and the shrines and the giant golden Buddhas. Aren't you glad that we've never done that? Well, to pull the rug out from you guys a little bit, you have. You might not have carved or whittled or welded, but you have set up in your heart other gods, gods of plasma, gods of metal, with power strokes, gods of Louisville sluggers and Wilson athletics, gods of fame and fortune and power and popularity, gods of luxury. And it was so neat on the Nepal trip to watch our men process that themselves by themselves as we pull out in a van away from the Boda temple And they began to say, these are Prineville guys, and they go, you know what? We don't have that. But I've got a whole lot of other gods that have been set up in my heart that need to come down. And I just remember sitting in the backseat of that van and going, I can't believe I'm hearing this come out 
of these guys. These are woodworking men. These are financial advisors. These are farmers. These are our everyday Joes that are going, boy, we all have sinned. We all have committed harlotry against the Lord. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And we all need a savior. As John says, you are adulterers and you are adulteresses. Don't you know that friendship with the world and its system is war against God? Those of you who want to be a friend with the world, make yourself an enemy of God. Do you think that the scripture says in vain everything we've read this morning? The spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously. Everything that has crept into our life that causes us to want to cling to this world rather than cling to all that God is, it's an idol. It's caused us to be unfaithful to our husband. It's caused us to become adulterers and adulteresses. Having a mind that's set on the things of this world, striving for the worldly stuff. And man, there's a, there's a kaleidoscope. I mean, I think it was... Uh, it was Luther that said that the human heart is an idol factory. It's just like, you know, there's a conveyor belt coming out of our heart that's just like, idol, 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 idol. I mean, we could be talking about our, uh, we could be talking about our, our son's little league. We can be talking about our daughter's dance class. We can be talking about how well they play the recorder and how much they need to pursue playing the recorder. We can be talking about uh, my own, um, you know, football and baseball and basketball passions and that I've got to be watching and I've got to know everything about it and it just consumes me. We can be talking about Thursday night TV. We can be talking about uh, the vehicle that we drive and the home that we have and how much we need to build it up. We can be talking about that garden that needs to be planted. I mean, just bop, 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 bop. I can't even touch on it all. But I am praying today that the Holy Spirit would say, this is an idol in your heart. You're cheating on me. Day after day, week after week, you come into this church where the Bible is opened up and it is preached and I tell you who I am and what my desire is for you and you go like this. And you go like this. And you go like this. And you say, that might be your desire for me, but I'll tell you what my desires for me are. That means that you have become your own God. You are your own idol. And this hits home in my life just as much. Right now, it's springtime. Every year in the last three years, Russell's played baseball. It's fall time every year. I'm a coach. I do soccer. That's what we do. And we had to bring it before the, t the table as a family and say, what we do is live for Jesus. What we do is live as disciples and make disciples. So we will play soccer and basketball and play the recorder or whatever it is in as much as it moves to those ends. 
that we can be disciples and make disciples. We love our family. We want to be with our family. But that's not the chief end. And so we brought before the table, and I brought Russell, and I said, you need to pray what God has for this year. Is it soccer? Is it baseball? Is it, you know, no athletics but pursuing something else? You know, and, and I need to pray as well. Everything that we are, blank check lives before the Lord, lest we be consumed with anything. And it doesn't end just at sports. It's every area of our lives. Do we get the Dish TV or do we not get the Dish TV? Do we purchase the Netflix? Do we not purchase the Netflix? Do we get the vehicle? Do we not? Do we, what are we owned by? Or whom are we owned by? We cannot be like the world and that we love the world and the things of the world. For the lusts of the world, which are the lusts of the flesh, and the lusts of the eyes and the pride of life, John tells us, they're not from the Father, but they're from the world. And they are passing away. Don't you remember that the Spirit who lives in us yearns jealously for our hearts? For your heart? And Paul brings it to that marriage analogy, for I've betrothed you to one husband that I might present you as a chaste virgin in Christ. Paul is like the father of the bride who's presenting his daughter to the groom. And he wants to make sure that she stays chaste and singly focused for her husband. Paul is like the servant of Abraham who went and found Rebecca and brought her back and wants her for the master. And he is jealous and on fire that this bride stays pure. It's the same picture we find in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28. We're not going to read it for the sake of time, but that we are the bride of Christ. He is the groom. And husbands ought to present their wives in purity and in holiness in the same way that we as the bride are presented before Jesus Christ. Verse 3, but I fear lest somehow as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Jesus. One of the foundation things of why Paul is jealous is because he's afraid. He sees that it's a possibility for this wonderful church to be led astray. It's not outside of the realm of what could happen. And Paul is seeing that they are listening to guys who are trying to lead them away and are vying for their affections. And so he is afraid that they will be deceived. Because he knows that the devil is so crafty. He's full of treachery. I mean, look how he deceived Eve. And why don't we read about that real quick? Just five verses here. Genesis 3, 1 through 6. Six verses, sorry. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. So real quick, Paul is afraid that a local church could be deceived and led away in the same way that Eve was by the serpent in the garden. So we need to know the enemy right now. 
We need to know that the enemy is cunning. He's sly. He's crafty. He's shrewd. More than any other beast in the field. And this sly serpent said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, this cunning serpent Satan does something to trick that is so wily, as Ephesians says, because he uses the word of God, but he tweaks it just a little bit. It's the same thing that Satan did in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was led out in the wilderness and was tempted. Satan is quoting scripture like a mamma jamma. But Jesus counters with the correct context of the scriptures. And so Satan opens up saying, don't you remember when God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And by the way, one of Satan's greatest tacks is when he says, did God really say that? Okay, so he does two things. Did God really say it? And secondly, he'll twist what God said. So then the woman is caught off guard. She's deceived. And she says, we could eat of all the trees of the garden except for this tree that's in the midst. God said you shouldn't eat it. But then what does she do? She adds to what God said. Nor shall you touch it, lest you die. And then Satan jumps in, sinks his teeth in, and says, you will not surely die. Did God really say that? It's not going to happen. God knows. He's trying to rob your fun. The minute you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. She saw that, and she ate of it. Later on, when God sees them in the garden and demands an account of their sinful actions, what does Eve say? The serpent deceived me, and I ate. Paul tells Timothy that the woman was deceived and fell into transgressions. Paul uses it as historical in setting up church leadership, Chrysostom, the golden tongue preacher, would say that Eve was deceived by expecting to acquire more. Adulterers and adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world going after the lusts of the flesh and the lusts of the eyes and the pride of life, that is war with God. It will end in death. And that's what happened to Eve. She followed the unholy feelings in her heart. Now, Eve was created and lived in paradise where there was nothing but perfection of nature. She was in a place where 
She had every conceivable motive to remain pure. But Satan was so subtle and tricky, he swept in and deceived. In church, we need to be aware that he does the same tactics today. Keep a leather-bound book in your hand or the Bible app on the front of your phone. Have that sword of the Spirit out that you can do as Jesus and counter the moves of the wicked one. Because that dragon, as Revelation 12 calls him, that serpent of old, the devil who deceives the whole world, he's going about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. Our own chapter today of 2 Corinthians 11, if you were to jump down in verses 13 through 15, you just simply scan it and see that Satan transforms himself as an angel of light. So why wouldn't teachers that come in transform themselves and become angels of light or wolves in sheep's clothing so that we could be deceived? That goes for here in this church. You keep that Bible open and you be as the Bereans in Acts 17, 11, and you search your Bibles to see if what's told from this pulpit is the true word of God. How does this corruption happen that Paul speaks of that corrupts our minds and take us away from the simplicity and purity that's in Jesus? How does this corruption take us from singleness of mind To serve a different God? Verse 4 tells us, For if he who comes preaches another Jesus whom we've not preached, or if you receive a different spirit whom you've not received, or a different gospel which you've not accepted, you may well put up with it. And so what happens? Men come in looking like true preachers, and they bring another Jesus. They bring another Jesus. It's the word hetero. And it means different but of the same kind. Bring something that seems so close, but it's different. Did you know that the Mormons believe in Jesus? And the Jehovah's Witnesses believe in Jesus? Put their faith in Jesus? And yet, the Jesus that they believe in is a different Jesus. He is a created being. He is either the brother of Lucifer who became Satan, or he is the reincarnated Michael the archangel. But we believe in the Jesus who is the God-man, who was before anything that was ever created, who is, as Colossians 1 says, the image of the invisible God. The firstborn, or literally first ranked over all creation. It was by Jesus that all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, that are visible and invisible, whether it's thrones, dominions, principalities, powers. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, or the first one to raise from the dead. 
that in all things he may have the preeminence, that he would be first. Jesus is God. But there are those who preach different Jesuses. There are those who preach different spirits that are not the spirits from the scripture. There are those who preach different gospels that are watered down gospels. They preach gospels that are, oh yeah, you're saved by faith, but you're also saved by works. So it's great that you believe in Jesus and his propitiation for your sins, but it's not enough. You also have to go here, do this, attend that, wear this, bow to that, and be a part of this in order to be saved. That is a religious gospel, and it is no gospel at all. Anyone who would preach faith plus works for salvation is a false prophet, a false preacher, someone that Satan is using by cunning craftiness to deceive the world and rob God of glory. So just as bad as faith plus works for salvation is this false gospel that is faith faith minus works from salvation. In other words, when you are a Christian, you won't do good works. It doesn't matter how you live. As long as you said this prayer, it went forward at this event, Billy Graham Crusade or Greg Laurie or whatever it was, it doesn't matter. Just pray the prayer. You're good to go for the rest of your life. That is the false gospel of easy believism. And it counters what James preaches, that don't you know that faith without works is dead? You see, we are saved by grace through faith. But we are saved for good works, not from good works. Are you confused? Do you see how the devil uses it to confuse? You use the word for and from and you swap the, le- swap the letters around a little bit. And Don't be lazy in understanding this, people. Salvation depends upon it. What do you trust in? What do you rest in? Don't believe different gospels. Galatians 1, 6 through 9 says, I marvel that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel because the Galatians were turning towards a works-based righteousness. It's not another gospel, Paul says. There are some who trouble you and want to pervert and make crooked the gospel. And then he says this, if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we've preached to you, let him be accursed or anathema. Let him be wiped out. As we've said before, so I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel than what you've received, let him be accursed. If I or an angel preach a different gospel, what if it's a beautiful, tough-looking angel named Moroni? And he gives me some golden plates and tells me to read them and hide them, and I'm the only one that can remember what, you know. If it's counter this, throw it out and let that angel be accursed. What if it's an angel up in the mountains of Nepal who comes 
and tells me to quit worshiping Buddha, but to worship Yeshu. He is the only true and living God. What do you say to that angel? Praise God. You don't, no, praise God. Don't throw that angel out. He's telling you to worship Jesus. You got to use the Bible. It's so subtle, isn't it? It's so subtle. And that's the trickery of the wicked one. The prosperity gospel is another gospel. If you come to Jesus and give us your money, he will give you riches and fortune. You'll never be sick. You'll drive the best of vehicles. You'll get the best of jobs. And you'll have health, wealth, and prosperity. It's counter gospel, counter Bible, counter Jesus, and it doesn't make any sense in a third world country. It brings wickedness. Any other gospel? If it's a gospel without the bad news, then it can't be good news. The good news comes in and it tells us, sorry, but you've blown it and you've failed and you've sinned against God and you've fallen short of his glory, and you're going to hell. But the good news is that God sent his son and did what you could never do. He lived the perfect life. He didn't blow it. But then he was betrayed and killed and crucified, and his life was a substitute for your sin. He sacrificed himself on the cross and shed his perfect sinless blood so that your sinful blood could be made clean and righteous. And if you would believe on him, you won't perish, but have everlasting life. And you'll be brought back into right relationship with your creator again. It's got the bad news and it's got the good news. A gospel without the death of Jesus is no gospel. A gospel without the resurrection of Jesus is no gospel. And you know what's crazy? Sometimes you get all those false gospels wrapped up into one. You get guys that come and preach to you that you're a good person, try your best, be the best you, you're a good person, no matter what you do, you're going to heaven, there is no hell, no one will go to hell, so come to Jesus, everything will go right, give us your money, and you'll be rich and, ha and fat and happy and sassy. It's out there, it's all the false gospels rolled up into one. And Paul is jealous for you. Because how quickly we turn to other suitors. How quickly we turn to other boyfriends. How quickly we turn to others that offer something served up on a nice platter. Don't be deceived. A different gospel is no gospel at all have the worship team come on up and we'll read together the true gospel in first corinthians 15 verses 1 through 5 paul says moreover brethren i declare to you the gospel which i preached to you which also you received and in which you stand now do you remember that paul had said I don't want you to be deceived from the simplicity that's in Christ. Here is a nice, clean-cut, simple gospel written out for you. 
He says, it's by which you're saved. If you hold fast the word that I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Verse 3 says, for I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scripture. Many false preachers won't talk about sin to get people into their churches and to buy their books. Many people won't talk about the death of Jesus and his blood being shed. It's too morbid. It's too gruesome. People don't want to hear it. The public doesn't want to hear it. Let's just leave that out. Here's what Paul preached. and It's called the gospel. Christ died and it was for our sins. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. He was seen by Cephas and by the twelve. A gospel preaches the resurrection. Read the book of Acts and you see when people are witnessing Jesus, they're talking about him not only dying, but rising from the dead, being vindicated and shown that he's right and true. I preached at a funeral yesterday and I knew that many people were a little bit bitter at God for taking a a nice gal so young from breast cancer. But I think with that bitterness also came a desire to, at this moment, don't want to hear about Jesus, don't want to hear about what he's done. What hope is there when there's death all around us if we don't know that death has been defeated by Jesus on the third day, rising from the dead and being the first one of us to rise from the dead? We preach the resurrection. After he describes the resurrection, he goes down in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, and he says, Christ is risen from the dead. He's become the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. For by man came death. That's the bad news. But by man also came the resurrection of the dead. That's the good news. As in Adam all die, bad news, even so in Christ. All will be made alive. He goes on even more to describe the gospel. And in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he sums it up by saying, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so we have salvation from our sins by what Jesus did in dying on the cross and being buried and rising from the dead. And because he has vanquished death, now we can live. And now we're called to live. It's a whole gospel. It's a robust gospel. May God give us discernment and an information age for all of it is not whole and complete. Let's pray. This is we move towards worship and prayer. The title of today's sermon was, He is Jealous for Me. I just want you to ponder this morning that God is jealous for you. If you call yourself a follower of Him, He wants your heart, He wants your affections. He knows that there are crafty ones out there, seductresses in a sense that are offering up themselves 
But there are hobbies and business ventures and opportunities and home projects, crafts and athletic ventures and opportunities to craft your talents and elevate yourself in this culture and society. And he just wants you to be oh so careful that those things that can be good things, that they don't become God things to you. Things that would vie for your affection for him. He is jealous for your affection. He wants you to be ardent for him as he is ardent for you. And as he has touched a spot in your heart today and he has put his finger on that issue or that venture or that life decision or that purchase or that use of the next three months or that use of the next year. Man, hear him just say, hey, I'm jealous for you. As a husband just is jealous for his wife and sees another man casting eyes on her. Man, I want to come in and fight for you. I want to chase off that, that adulterer. Maybe the Spirit of God would just move in your heart today to turn away from that thing so that there'd be no temptation at all. You see that it's been a distraction. You see that it has taken your affection from God, taken His affection from the church, taken your affection from what He's called you to be and who He's called you to, to represent. Man, I just, talking to our church today, I just, for three days, I've been studying this text and I just feel like I have that jealous heart for you guys. Like our elders have a jealous heart. And so neat to see other men and women in our body have jealous hearts for other people in the church and they just want to see you guys living for Jesus. They want to see you taking advantage of and being just uh, blessed so richly by the grace of God. And, and even more so that your life wouldn't be spent robbing God of His glory when it's your funeral, when it's your memorial service. What's going to be said about your life? Was it spent for Jesus? Did you love the groom? We have one life and it will soon be passed. And only what we've done for Jesus will last. I've had to bring this heart of jealousy before the Lord because actually I can't say that it's the same heart that Paul had. I just really had to say, Lord, I, I think my heart is not holy in its jealousy for these people. And there might be things in my heart that are selfish and selfish reasons that I want them to be here. Selfish reasons that I want them to live for you and I just want you to know, church, I just had to lay that before the Lord and just take up His jealousy. He wants your heart. He wants your affection. He wants you to love Him back. He wants an exclusive relationship. Don't be Gomer. Don't be the harlot who, though married, goes off and commits adultery. Be singly minded towards Jesus, your husband, today. 
we're going to close with this song. And just as you feel the Lord just saying, hey, here are the issues that I'm jealous about. I want you to bring them before me. I want you to lay them all aside and I want you to present your life to me as a blank check and let me fill in the blanks. Here's what I want you to be involved in. Here are the activities. Here are the hobbies. Here are the passions. But this, this is a rival throne. Don't let it survive cut it off today. Let's bring everything in our life before the Lord as we close with this song. And as you sense he's impacting you and moving in you and you want to respond, why don't you stand with us today and respond to the Lord?